Man, thanks to those who have uh, walked with us all semester. There's been a lot of a lot of new faces, and that's always fun for us. A lot of freshmen. Uh, we really hope and pray that you've found RUF, no matter really no matter what you believe, whether you've been trying to figure out Christianity, whether you have doubts. Um, we hope that you found that uh, the Bible is taught that Jesus is one who takes away shame, takes away guilt, and brings real rest. Uh, that's what we hold up every week. So we are going to uh, finish our study of Genesis tonight, uh, with ending with the life of Abraham. And we're going to be in Genesis 22. And we're going to see an account of when God tests Abraham. And I don't know how that sounds to you. Because I think a lot of times when we hear a test, most of us think of something like a, an, AC, an ACT or an MCAT where you are... You're having to prove yourself. You're having to prove that you should be accepted and get in. And I don't know. I think many of us walk through life thinking that we have to prove ourselves to, to, to God. That, um, that every week is another week of, of trying to pass the test and prove to God that I'm, that I'm good enough. But there's also another way to think about oh. Should we just pray tonight? I'm sorry. This is my wife, by the way. She's awesome. What am I doing? Thank you, babe. Um, so, ah, this is a disaster. Uh, but look, there's, uh, there, there's another way to, to think about a test. Like, if you think about uh, if you've ever had to uh, test water to see its purity, or, or test a swimming pool, that what it does, it's not, it doesn't prove something, a test reveals what is there. And so you put some chemicals in there or something, and you put it in a, in a tube, and when you look at it, it reveals the chlorine level or the pH level or whatever. It reveals what otherwise was unseen, what, what was there, but you didn't see. And that's what's going to happen here. As we go back to the beginning, we're going to see this principle actually is carried out throughout the Bible that God treats the people that He loves with a great love that tests them. Because He wants you to know what's in your heart. He brings about trials. He brings about suffering. He brings about commands that will actually reveal your heart. Reveal what's in it. And a lot of times it's nasty. But otherwise we would not have known it. Not so that we have to now prove ourselves to God, but so that we can turn to Him and we, and we can change. He's not an angry teacher that is saying, prove, prove yourself. He's a Father who wants us to know Him and to know our hearts and that we can trust them with it. So let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, would you be with us in a very, very difficult uh, passage? Um, if you didn't grow up with this, when you read this, it is shocking. Lots of questions come up. How could God command a sacrifice of a son? How could that be a God of love? Lord, um, many of us are, are extremely tired tonight. And so would you meet us in our weariness? Would you meet us in our, um, uh, in our confusion? Uh, would you bring about uh, a sight that sees how good Jesus is tonight? We ask this in your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, here is God's word from Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife so that they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. The grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Okay, we're going to ask this passage four questions. All about the test. What is the test? What does the te- if the test reveals, what does the test reveal about Abraham? Then what does the test reveal about the Lord? And finally, what does the test produce? All right. What is it? Was it revealed about Abraham? Was it revealed about the Lord? Was it produced? First, what is the test? So we're told God test- tested Abraham, and here's the test. Here's going to bring to the surface of, of, of what's in Abraham's heart. What are we going to see? And the test is this. Take your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Look, I don't know. If you grew up in the church and you grew up with this passage, I don't think this passage sounds crazy enough to you, okay? It makes sense. The Lord is commanding a father to put his firstborn son, his only son, on an altar and to offer him up. Like, that needs to shake us again. And may, if you're trying to figure out Christianity, I think your question is, how in the world can the Lord, if, if he's real, ask this of Abraham? This is crazy. Two things, all right? The first, um, maybe isn't going to um, ease the tension, but I think the second one will help. But why is this such a test? Why offer Isaac first? Remember, a test reveals. And this test has a purpose. It reveals the idolatry of Abraham, Okay? What's an idol? An idol is anything that in your life other than God that has become more foundational. It's anything that is in your life that, that, that this is what makes you okay. This is your security. It becomes the shaping point of your life. And you get indications in the narrative of Abraham's life that, that 
Isaac has become this, right? He's the one that you love. You get indications that this is the most precious thing in Abraham's life. If you've been with us this semester, it kind of makes sense. Like 25 years ago, God had promised to Abraham and Sarah a son. And they wait 25 years through all this failure, through, through all this believing. And then when Abraham's 100, God gives them Isaac. And Isaac is the promised one. He's the one that God has promised, I'm going to bring salvation of the world through Isaac. And I don't know how, we don't know specifically how old Isaac is. We know he's old enough to carry wood. So he's, let's say he's probably in his teenage years. And just think how suddenly... This is probably this this happened because I think we see this in our hearts. After twenty five years of waiting, God finally comes through, and Abraham had to wake up in some of the mornings, right? Maybe after he was born, and look at Isaac and hold Isaac in his arm and think, God is so faithful. God loves me. I can trust Him. He gave me Isaac, right? And then there would be hard days, maybe stuff that, you know, shook Abraham, maybe, maybe some, I don't know, fights in marriage. And, and he would look at Isaac, though, and he'd think, it's okay. We're going to be okay. Isaac is here. And then the subtle shift as becomes, as long as I have Isaac, I'm okay. As long as I have Isaac, things are, things are going to work out. Things are stable. And look, I don't know if that's exactly what happened. That's a thought experiment to try to, to try to get you to grapple with the subtlety of our hearts. But this is what we do. We take the blessings of God, the good things that He's given us, and they start out, they remind us of how trustworthy God is. But then those things become the stability. Those things become the things that I build my life on and say, this is why I'm okay. And we know this is right. Right? I mean, we, we, we know how this works. It's, it's awesome that a girl likes you and wants to date you. That's awesome. And then ever so slow, slowly, this girl who, who likes you and loves you, who's a gift, she just starts becoming the thing that makes you okay. The thing that, well, if everything else collapses, this is how I know everything's going to work out. I have her. And you realize the threat of the breakup is the test. Will you trust the Lord with the dating relationship? Or we do whatever it takes to neurotically guard it. Right? Or it's awesome. It's awesome to have friends. It's awesome to be well-liked. It's a gift. But slowly, it becomes the thing that makes you feel okay about yourself. That makes you feel like you have stability. That if nothing else works out, at least I have this to fall back on. Doggone it, people like me. Right? But then the threat of loneliness becomes the test. Can you trust the Lord with loneliness? Or will you do whatever it takes to get friends? It's great to be obedient to the Lord. Absolutely. We're going to say that a lot tonight. But slowly, it's very interesting. Even your own goodness and obedience can become your security. That the things that you do for the Lord is what makes you feel okay. And then the test comes when you you actually blow it. When you see your sin. What will you do? Will you hide it? Or will you trust the Lord with your sin? And so first, the tests always, tests always expose things that we trust in rather than the Lord. But here's the other thing. It's not just that God is saying, I love you too much, Abraham, to let you set your heart 
on something besides me. He's going to do that all the time for the rest of our life, you realize. He's not just trying to recenter Abraham on himself. He's also calling Abraham to deal with his character. See, how could God command this? How could God command Abraham to offer his own son on an altar? How is that not murder? And this is important. He doesn't say, Abraham, go murder your son right now. Abraham wouldn't have done that. He knows God can't command evil. Okay? He says, go offer your firstborn son as an offering, as a burnt offering. And Abraham and definitely the first hearers of Genesis, who are those who had come out of the Passover in Exodus, sorry if you don't know what that is, they, they would have known exactly what God was saying. That in this familial culture, the firstborn was a big deal. Okay, Tim Keller, Darwin joked about a series, we really do have them on. But uh, he points to this professor at Harvard who's done all this work on ancient Near Eastern cultures. You're going to have to put it in your thinking hat and listen here. And he wrote a book called The Death and Resurrection of a Beloved Son. And he uncovers the concept that in all, in all ancient Near Eastern cultures, this one, There's this thing called the law of primogeniture where the firstborn is the representative of the family. Right? In Western culture, we idolize individualism, right? In Western culture, the family was everything. I mean, in Eastern culture, the family was everything. The family's success was what was important. And so the law of primogeniture said the firstborn gets everything. He gets the inheritance. He carries the family's name. He represents the family. And so the firstborn, you realize, in familial cultures was the representative of the family, always. He was the hope. And what you find in the Old Testament is that God lays down a symbolic structure that is built on the firstborn, that is built on their culture. And over and over again, you can see this in Numbers 3, you can see it in Numbers 18, God says the firstborn is mine. It's mine. And he says the life of your firstborn is forfeit. And it actually happens in Passover and Exodus. You can, go, you can go read this, what he does to the Egyptians. But what was he saying? He was saying, because of the debt of sin that your family has, the life of your firstborn is forfeit. It's mine. And he set up this system that in a familial culture, you're always reminded that my family has a debt of sin. Before the Lord of this universe. And my sin deserves death. And so God said you always had to redeem your firstborn. You'd have to redeem it with a sacrifice or a payment. And when you did that you were acknowledging before the holy and perfect God. That everyone in my family, especially me, is guilty of sin. And so when... So God's entering into that and saying, Abraham, I'm calling in the debt of your sin. If God had told Abraham to offer up Sarah on the altar, he would have never have done it. That would have been murder. But to ask, ask for Isaac, God was rightfully calling in the payment for Abraham's sin. God's justice was coming to the forefront. And he's saying, Abraham, your sin, your idolatry, your failure, all your covenant breaking, it's incurred a debt. And I'm calling it in. So bring me Isaac. That's why Abraham doesn't protest. Now you feel the weight of the crisis, right? 
It's not only revealing what Abraham really hopes in, what's become precious to him, but it also reveals this crisis that God has promised. He has promised to bring salvation through Isaac. But because of Abraham's unfaithfulness and his family's sin, Isaac's life is forfeit. How can God justly punish sin and yet bring salvation to the world? That's the crisis that Abraham is coming to interact with. How is God going to bring about salvation without, putting sin, without just putting sin aside and putting his justice aside? But how is he going to save through his just character? And that's what a test always reveals. Those two things. First, the test reveals, I worship and love things more than God. And then as I come face to face with my sin, I say, what am I going to do with that? Where am I going to turn with that? What am I going to turn to make myself feel okay and bring stability? And so that's the test. What does the test reveal about Abraham? And we're going to go quickly from here. It's amazing. This passage goes into crazy detail, I think, to let you feel the pain of Abraham's obedience. It takes three days to, to make this travel, this journey. And by verse 5, presumably the last morning, he leaves his servants behind. And it's just he and Isaac. And Isaac starts carrying the, the wood. And he asks, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrifice for our sin? There's the question. God has promised to justly punish sin. Where's the one who's going to be punished? How is God going to do this, right? If God is going to punish sin by taking Isaac, but bring salvation. In Hebrews 11, what Hunter, uh, what Hunter told us is that Abraham reasoned back. He knew somehow God was going to be faithful to his promises, even though he's going to, even though he's going to punish sin, that maybe he would resurrect Isaac from the dead. And they keep going. And the narrative slows down in verse 9 or 10 are really slow. They, they let you feel the pain of obedience, the consequences of Abram's sin, the feeling of self-denial. And Abraham binds his son Isaac to an altar and he grabs the knife. Is Abraham going to trust the Lord? Is he going to trust the promises of God more than his feeling, more than his need of Isaac? Will he trust the Lord? This is why the Christian life is characterized as self-denial. It's why the Christian life, it's good, it's worth it, it's life. But it's also painful. And it's also suffering. Because saying no to sin and idolatry feels like death. It feels like you're saying no to life. And it's painful. Trusting the Lord is hard. That can look a lot of different ways. But look, the believer... The believer that struggles with same-sex attraction looks and realizes that being faithful to God might just mean that I never enjoy a sexual relationship. That feels like death. How could that make sense? And God says, can you trust me with your sexuality? Or the believer who knows that if you're honest with your friends, with your group of friends, it very well might mean that you lose friends. That feels like death. It's painful. There's just a lot that can you trust me with your future? Can you trust me with your grades and not cheat and get behind? And you just feel the pain of it. And then as he takes the knife, the angel of the Lord, which is the Lord himself, says, Abraham, do not lay your hand on him. Why? 
Because here's what the test reveals about Abraham. He fears the Lord. He trusts the Lord. He is faithful to the Lord. The test revealed that what is in Abraham's heart, yes, there is some idolatry of Isaac, but at the end of the day, it realizes that the component of he and God's relationship, Abraham, it's revealed that he's all in. He really trusts him. Why? Because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You trusted me with your most precious thing. You trusted me with your sin. You set aside the most precious thing in your life for me. Now I know that you're all in. And we know this, right? We know that your love for something is always measured by what you're willing to give up to have it. Always. Look, many of you guys, you love money. It's all right. And there will come a day that you will part with a lot of money like that. And it will be when you buy an engagement ring. It will. Because there is something out there that made this great sacrifice just worth it that you say, I'll give it up to get you. And we know this another way, right? I mean, last one, I got a reference to Harry Potter. How does Harry Potter know that he is deeply precious to his parents? Because they set aside their life for him. They sacrificed their life to save him. The more precious something is to you, the more willing you are to sacrifice anything to get it and then to keep it and never lose it. And Abraham, through all the pains and through all the tests, what's revealed is that Abraham does. He fears the Lord. He trusts the Lord more than anything else. He really does treasure it. He doesn't even withhold his son, his only son. So what does the test reveal about the Lord then? This is why I've actually been excited about this text for us tonight. What does the Lord do? He stops Abraham and he provides a substitute. Right? The debt of Abraham's sins still has to be paid for. This, something has to die. And the Lord just changes victims. He, he provides a ram. The sacrifice still has to be made, but the victim changes. And you see that the Lord allows a substitute. We've seen this before. And Abraham and Isaac that day walked down the mountain together with a very vivid experience of this. We, Isaac is alive because something died instead of us. And that principle is getting further and further ingrained in Abraham as he walks with God. That the hope of being right with God. The hope of making it to the end is that God is going to provide a substitute. That's why God names the mountain not Abraham's faith, but the Lord will provide. It really is about him. But what's the other principle that stuck with Abraham? Abraham experienced this personally, that the greatest and fullest expression of love and commitment for someone is proportional to what you're willing to give up to have it. And he experienced the beginnings and the reality of the pain of the thought of losing his one and only son for someone. That's what the test, if you could say this, burned into the memory of Abraham. Is just how much pain and love it would take to give up your one and only son to have something. And that principle actually stuck 
and believers' ears throughout the Old Testament for thousands of years. And then here's the test, right? How can you really know tonight that the Lord is faithful to you? How can you know? How can you know He's never going to quit on you? How can you know He's worth it? How can you know if He loves you? I guess the test, according to this, is if He's willing to give up that which is most precious to Him, to have you. I guess if He is willing to give up His own Son for me. And here's the test. This is the test that you can hold up to God and reveal what's in the heart of God. Was the Lord willing to give up His most precious thing to have me? And sure enough, thousands of years after this incident, God's one and only Son, Jesus, comes to this earth. And when He makes His appearance at the age of 30 to begin His public ministry, John the Baptist says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here's the lamb. Here's the substitute. Here's the substitute for Abraham's sin and my sin and your sin if you'll let him take your place. And then, by his heavenly Father's instruction, he goes to the land of Moriah, which is now known as Jerusalem. He climbs a mountain and he will be hoisted up and bound to a cross. And in the great... the greatest expression of love possible, the greatest love the world has seen and ever will see, God, God the Father goes through the pain of raising the knife of His wrath and nothing stops His hand. He plunges His full wrath into His one and only Son and destroys His Son on the cross. What kills Jesus is Our sin that covers him and the searing wrath of God that his father unfolds on him. Why? Because it's the ultimate test. Would God the Father and Jesus the Son be faithful to their promises? Yes. So that they could have you. So that they could be with you. So that you and I who trust in the slain lamb will be spared. That's what comes out of this passage. So that now, standing at the foot of Calvary, if Abraham were there, he could have taken verse 12 and reversed it and said this, Now, God, I know that you love me. Because you did not withhold your son, your only son. You didn't withhold him from me. That's the test. No matter what's going on in your life, here's the test that you can hold up and reveal what is in God's heart. He did not withhold His Son, His only Son, so that He could have you. That's what's in the heart of God. That's how pure His love is for His people. That's how committed He is to you. And Romans 8 says, If He did not spare His own Son, how will He not also give us, graciously give us all things? <coughs> there was nothing more precious to God the Father than His eternal Son. And out of his great love for you, he gave him up. And what does that produce? Well, it strengthened Abraham. It grows his faith. It reminds him of the blessings. And what does it do for us? Here's how it brings us to a close. James chapter 1 says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. The ferocity and surety of God's love 
it produces trust. It strengthens faith. It produces endurance amidst suffering. And it brings about real obedience. The surety of the Father's love finally enables you to say no to sin. Even when it hurts. Even when it feels like death. And so look, I'll come back to this. I just know the statistics. Your struggle with same sexual desire, it's going to feel like death to submit to Jesus. How do you know you can trust God with that? Hold up the test. He did not withhold His only Son. He didn't. You can trust Him. He's committed. Your abuse that's happened to you, the horrible things that have been done to you, the great evil... And you ask, how can I trust the Lord if He has let these things happen to me? That is a real struggle. The test is, well, He did not withhold His Son, His only Son. I can trust Him even even if this doesn't make sense. That's the test. That's the thing that will make you be able to say, I can be single the rest of my life and be okay. I can be in a crummy job the rest of my life and be okay. Because God did not withhold His Son, His only Son. You can stay faithful in a tough marriage. Because God did not withhold His Son, His only Son. How can you keep serving a church that frankly isn't very exciting one day and fails you a lot? You go back to the test. That He's never quit loving you. He's going to see you to the end. How can you turn from the sin that just feels like life How can you turn from gossip, from sexual immorality, from addictions? How can you start loving enemies and forgiving? Because it hurts. It's only if you can hold up the test and realize, the Father did not spare His own Son. I can actually trust Him with my sin. I can trust Him with repentance. And what that means is if there is no self-denial in your life, no painful obedience... The answer isn't just to try harder tomorrow. The answer is, you need to go back to the test. You might not know the ferocity of God's love. And you probably need to receive it. I'll end with this. There's an NPR radio lab uh, about um, this congresswoman named Barbara Lee, who, after September 11th happened, 2001, the terrorist attacks... There was a quick meeting of Congress where they were voting to give the, the president basically, basically unrestrained power to use whatever force necessary to fight back. There's all this pressure to make it happen, to show how uni- strong the United States was, how unified we are. But it wasn't a vote for the Congress to declare war, right, which is what's supposed to happen. And so there's all this pressure to be unified and and do all that. And she finally, with her conscience, says, I can't vote for this. This is against the Constitution. When the vote came that day, it was 420 for it and one against it. And in the following days, she said that she received over 60,000 letters in the mail with death threats, calling her a terrorist, calling other things. And here's what she said. Actually, those things ended up not bothering me. Because shortly after the vote, she said, I received a call from my dad. And my dad said that he was proud of me. 
And that was all I needed to hear. The Christian life is hard. Anybody that tells you otherwise is lying to you. There are going to be a thousand times that obedience will feel like death. But here's the test. If you're in Christ, you can hold it up and realize, my Father loves me and is proud of me and approves of me. And that just has to quiet every other voice and every other temptation and enable you to stand. This is where we've been headed all throughout Genesis, that God created a world that He loves, that we, have, we are bigger sinners than we think. But as we keep going along, the thing that keeps getting revealed is that God's grace is better than we think. That's what you're invited to tonight, is to see that there is a sure foundation to build your life on. And it is the love and grace of God that would not withhold His Son, His only Son, from you. That is a sure resting place. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, would you hold out for us again tonight the good news of Jesus Christ who went to the cross for us so that we can know the love of the Father, a love that is so real and so ferocious that it set aside the most precious thing the world has ever seen the eternal Son of God. Would you help us to trust you? Would you help us to trust you with our sin, with our shame, with our obedience? May we leave tonight uh, amazed at how deep the Father's love is for us. In your Son's name I pray. Amen.